0: I can't read my notes. To begin I'd like to acknowledge that the land we're meeting on today is the traditional land of the Ghana people. We pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging. Today, we're very fortunate to be joined by Clem Newchurch, who's a Ghana Nauranga Kugatha oh. man who has worked across youth, community services, arts, and education. He's exhibited at the Museum of South Australia and the Nautilus Art Centre, and has written and directed two documentaries for NITV's Our Stories series. Can you please join me in welcoming Clem Newchurch.
1: Um, yeah, just to, on the back of uh, acknowledging land, one of the things that we like to do as well is acknowledge Elders past and present. So when I'm doing talks like this, I like to show my respect to Elders by telling a little bit of a story about my Ghana ancestry. So I've got a photo up on the on the board on my PowerPoint. Um, this uh, my great-great-great-great-grandmother. So my my grandfather's father's mother's mother's mother was a Ghana woman from southern area, so the southern Adelaide region. Multiple stories about Ram Yamarin, but um, the majority say that she was taken, so before uh, Europeans actually settled on the mainland. Um, when we had uh, sealers based on Kangaroo Island, a lot of those sealers, mainly men, would come to the mainland, come to Narunga country, Ghana country, Yadang country, even go across the Palawa country, like Tasmania and take Aboriginal women and bring them back to places like Kangaroo Island. Um, for, so for um, Nellie Yamarin, my great-great-great-great-grandmother, um, she was taken by a Russian Finn. His name was John Wilkins, um, taken from you know, somewhere um, south of Adelaide, possibly closer around to, towards Rapid Bay. Um, multiple stories like i said some stories talk about when women got taken across to the island they passed away their children were put into boats and just pushed off the shore they have to fend for themselves out in the middle of the gulf here there's stories about a ghana woman who actually swam back from kangaroo island with a baby on her back and that story says that she passed away of exhaustion when she made to the mainland but her but her baby survived um, multiple sto- horrific stories, um, some stories talk about so um, finale Ram Yammerin, um story says that her husband and and uh, uh, one of her children passed away on the island. When her husband passed away, the other um, islanders basically came and laid claim to all of her possessions so she had to flee and that story says that she got shipped to Rauken down um, Camp Kurun, or, you know, the down... Um, meningi way there and um that story says that of her children she had something like nine remaining children and um those children married into a lot of ghana names that you hear today so new churches uh, taylors summers rigneys like some of those key she's she's known as the aboriginal woman in south australia with the most living descendants today so so yeah not the nicest stories i know but i tell those stories when recognizing elders because um you know, if we think about it, if her um, children had made that journey to, to the mainland then a lot of Ghana people wouldn't be here today, so so yeah, just putting that into a bit of context I guess. Yeah, they're important stories critical, to, to remember yeah. and,
0: and to preserve.
1: Yeah.
0: Clem, your arts practice is, is deeply intertwined with learning, preserving, practicing and, and sharing cultural knowledge. Would you mind telling us a bit about the, the varied strands of your arts and cultural practice?
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess um, for myself, it, my, I didn't really claim to be an artist until fairly recently. Um, for myself, it was uh, doing these cultural practices, I guess, for my own cultural journey or my own um, cultural strength. And so so learning these um, ancient cultural practices that had been done on the land for many thousands of years, um, that was the important thing for me. Um, but yeah, more recently, I've had uncles say you need to be getting this out there because this is what's going to inspire the next generation. So,
0: and was that what led to that shift in in your sense of yourself as an artist, or or the idea of sharing this became important?
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess that I just um just been given that permission or or that responsibility by an elder to actually um because it's always been a a fairly personal thing. Um, I think as artists we're our own worst critic as well so it's like, um, you know, I didn't think my stuff was really good enough to be, you know, being displayed but it wasn't about doing it for other people either. I I was doing it to learn for myself but generally um, where I would share it was um, in educational settings so working in schools, showing young people some of the stuff that I did to, you know, Basically, yeah, inspire that next generation and make sure that some of these practices um, are continued mm. in, into the future.
0: I think that anxiety about sharing your work and calling yourself an artist probably makes you an artist more than anything yes. else. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the ways that you've you've learned these techniques? And and for listeners at home, it's really interesting talking to Clem because while we are chatting, he is he is making and <laughs> and he is string making while we talk Can you tell us a little bit about um uh, how you picked up these weaving and string making techniques
1: um yeah so i guess what started me on my journey was um going down to camp curl so down in, in um country and, and learning the nyatta style of weaving i've got like a piece here and some photos up on the but um fairly kind of well-known um style of weaving and um, recognizable kind of all around australia but I was trained by Aunty Ellen Trevorrow down there. Um, they had a weaving workshop. Um, yeah. they, the elders down there were saying how it was. You know, it wasn't just a woman's thing. It was generally, in my upbringing, it was definitely kind of seen as women did weaving and men, you know, made other things. But um, while I was down um, at Camp Kurung, there was a a video of um, an old man Millerum, so Clarence Long. I've got. I've I've put a a photo of um, the $50 note in my slideshow, and you notice that um, there's a little couple in front of the church. Yeah. Um, So in in the left-hand corner, so the the man in that couple, Clarence Long, or and there's a video of him actually dressed up in a kangaroo um, skin cloak, going out collecting reeds and weaving a big warrior's basket. Yeah. So,
0: so for anyone listening at home, it's not David Unipon that's in the centre of the $50 bill, but the two little figures that are down the lower left-hand corner is what yeah. Clem's referring to.
1: Yeah, so the, the church in the, in the $50 note, that's um, the church at Rauken in the community, like Point MacLeod down at... Um, just past Meningi, down the along the Coorong. But, um, yeah, so, so Millerham um, did a lot of work with Norman Tyndale at, at, and the South Australian Museum... There's a lot of his old pieces, his weaving pieces in the museum. Uh, Seeing that video and and watching him go out and collect those reeds and he's actually using a skull cap to soak those reeds and make this warrior's basket kind of um, just showed me that it was all right for men to do it. And um, after going to the museum a couple of times and seeing that, you know, Ghana men also wove a similar style... um, I decided when, I'd get, when I got back to Ghana, country that I was going to go out and find the plants mm-hmm. that were used for that weaving style and, um, yeah, start doing it myself. So yeah, I did that and, um, and, you know, connecting with other Ghana um, community members, people like Alan Sumner and, you know, Jamie Goldsmith and, you know, Jack Buckskin, there's a heap of us who are kind of trying to bring back these cultural practices like cutting shields. So we'll, we'll go out together and we'll learn together and, um, you know, bringing back those things that possibly didn't happen for over 100 years in the country, but, um, you know, they're, they're, it's, there's a revival now, so, yeah. Mm.
0: And that uh, you were telling me before that that process of learning as well as, as receiving that cultural knowledge from elders, there is also, um, you're very much guided by the natural materials themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about how that process works?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, I've, I've found that yeah, we, we source information from, every angle when we're trying to revive some of these practices and but in, in my own experiences you know I've, I've read a lot in, when it come to the string making but it wasn't actually until I was out there collecting reeds and actually you know physically handling the, the materials that it's almost like the plants show you things you know um, couldn't even tell, tell you how many examples of like little epiphanies that I've had and you know where you don't even know where this comes from and I, I like to think that it's you know like our ancestors kind of talking through the plants and, and you know the, the knowledge that they have thousands of years on the landscape is still imprinted in the like the, the DNA or the culture of the landscape so so yeah using those native materials they actually show you things and, you know, watching the birds and, and things like that it's um, yeah a lot of that knowledge is still there to Access, even though people say that it's been lost. So, Mm. yeah.
0: And it's a really tactile process. I've watched you sort of split the the grass with your thumbnail and you were saying about how you um, chew the grasses and it sort of spirals in on itself just through that process of kind of breaking it down a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and this is where, so, you know, read for many years about how old people used to have, um, you know, massive processes around some of these um, practices where... It would be a communal thing where, you know, it wouldn't be just myself going out and harvesting and stripping the material and chewing. It would be done as a as a communal group and and um, yeah, everyone having kind of that shared responsibility. Um, yeah, it would be kind of easier process in, in the end. Where, so you know, I've I've taught myself my own technique where I you know, when I'm making the string, I'll use my teeth and mm-hmm. kind of twist it by hand. Um I've more recently learned another technique where our old people there's actually you know paintings of our old people using their thigh and twisting the fiber on their thigh like like that um, which is a quicker process, but um only if you've got all the fibre stripped and you know, um so again, if there was other people there, you know we would be able to kind of make a net quicker yeah. <laughs> but um less yeah,
0: individually labor intensive yeah it's, yeah, a, lot, it's yeah. a lot for you to shoulder. To make all this by by yourself but um, yeah
1: yeah it's um it's something that i'm kind of proud of um, working out by myself as well just um and and then meeting with uncle peter turner over on narunga country last year Um, we, when we kind of got together we worked out that we'd been doing similar things with different plants so um, in connecting and again going out and country together walking country doing a whole heap of things like cutting bowls out of trees and collecting flint to make stone tools. Uh, when we're out there and talking and sharing that knowledge that we've worked out, it, it just kind of, you know, more and more of that kind of information comes to you. So um, Uncle Peter and myself, would, you know, we quite often would be out and about and, you know, I'd I'd find a fibre, like I'd just be stripping a bit of bark off a tree and trying to make a bit of string. I'd turn around and he'd be doing the exact same thing with... You know the same plant um, but you know all part of that learning and now we know of you know about 15 to 20 different plants that we can make the, the cordage out of and um each of those plants you know properties brings a different kind of things you know some of them might be bouncier some of them might be a stronger fiber um yeah different different plants for different uses really so hmm.
0: Well, as you were saying, it's a community process, not an individual, not a lonely process, and it, and it gets easier, more people taking part. Um, but you were also telling me about works that you've done with scientists examining the, the weavings that you've been doing and talking about the strength that you're able to achieve through overlapping and, and reweaving it. It's actually quite a strong
1: material. Yeah, it? so I guess, um, you know, and, and working in that education setting Um, Uncle Peter and myself have both connected with um, the Science Curriculum Department at the Department of Education, and um, we'll be potentially doing a bit more work with them. Uh, Uncle Peter's kind of a bit of a lead in um, this uh, resource that they're they're creating, the Curriculum Resource, uh, using kind of things like string making and and fishing, talking about the technologies behind that. you know, it's just some of the technologies in that string making is, you know, just for example, the, when you twist the fibres, when they're kind of laying just kind of next to each other, they might have like a, a pound breaking strain. As soon as you twist them, it goes to 1.3 pounds. When you double it up, it goes more than double the strength. And then you can also kind of double the string up again. So it's four-ply. And once you get that four-ply, again, it's, it's double the strength of, of that two-ply strand as well so uh, this is all like they're picking apart the technologies that are our old people knew, that knew this you know these sciences for many thousands of years and and I guess um you know again that knowledge is kind of in that landscape it's in those plants but it's also in our dreaming stories and language and place names and, and all of that so so I guess yeah for me it's about trying to learn as many as much as I can about our old people's ways because I think they had a lot of things right as <laughs> well,
0: so, yeah. Um, getting back to uh, talking about Uncle Peter, uh, Peter Turner, you recently exhibited with him as part of the Guildhouse Collections Project, collaborating with the South Australian Museum for your Ghana Still Here exhibition. Yeah. And I was, really, I was really taken by this show because there was some, uh, some pretty different methods of uncovering and reviving cultural practices that you, that you took part in there. Can you tell us a bit about that work?
1: Yeah, I guess um, so the opportunity kind of come up and it did seem almost like it was meant to be when I first saw it so Guildhouse kind of put the expression of interest out uh, originally we we're looking at um, the botanic gardens for uh, the collections project because as we we're doing the kind of cordage and string making we thought you know when we went into the the museum within the botanic gardens mm-hmm. they feature fibers from all over the world but they don't have any of our native natural fibers and Frankel Peter and myself again you know sourcing information from wherever we could you know we do access the museum I have for many years since I was a kid I've been going to the museum but going across to the botanic gardens just to have a look through the collections and displays to see if we can learn things but um but also So we also learn from our elders, we learn from the plants, but we also... One of our sources has also been accessing old paintings that were painted many years ago. So um, after going to an information session at the Botanic Gardens, meeting with Guildhouse workers, they suggested the First Nations Collections Project with the museum, South Australian Museum, um, as being an option. Um, That project was... um, They wanted a response to George French Angus paintings. So George French Angus, um, his father was George Fife Angus, an early landholder around Adelaide um, in the early 1800s. So in 1844, his son, George French Angus, was um, travelling this kind of southern area in South Australia and and painting the landscape, um, but also painting our old people within the landscape doing some of these cultural practices. So so there's paintings like... um, two of our old people dragging a net down at Second Valley. And, um, yeah, so when Uncle Peter and I had looked at, you know, some of those paintings, um, for us we'd been referring to some of those paintings for many years. We didn't know who George French Angus was. That wasn't the important thing. The important thing for us was that content to try and find, you know, some of those uh, examples of some of the things that our old people used to make and using that as a reference point to, you know, Bring back some of these um, those cultural practices again. So things like the string was actually featured. um, Some of the reeds, reed spears that we make, um, were featured in some of these paintings that we hadn't seen before. And when I saw a whole heap of these paintings that I hadn't seen, and there was some of the items that I'd been making for many years, um, almost exact or very close to it, I felt you know it was like definitely like um, an, an opportunity to share an appropriate opportunity to share some of those things that I've been doing for up to 15 years without um you know without wanting to you know show anyone you know um but yeah when, when you see that sort
0: of th- sense of corroboration or that sense of confirming that what you were making connected back to
1: yeah definitely it was, it's, it's definitely like yeah I was on the right path with with some of those things so which we kind of knew from other sources, three elders and things like that, but it was definitely, you know, it's an in-your-face reference point, say, so in 1844, our old people were cutting shields. You know, that practice didn't happen for a long time, but nowadays, almost instinctively, we're bringing back, and you know, it's almost exact, you know, to how our old people used to do it. So, still got a lot to learn. You know, the more that we learn, the more that we realise we've got, you know, just how much knowledge our old people held, you know, of the landscape, but... Yeah, the more we learn it, the more that it brings that you know, cultural pride, I guess.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I, I find that a really interesting approach because we think about the history of landscape painting as very much tied up with this idea of a gesture of ownership of land and and, and that, that body of work is really tied up with a colonial history. But I think that what you and Uncle Peter have done there is... You know, we talk a lot about the repatriation of stolen cultural artefacts in museum collections around the world, but this project seems to me to engage in a process of of repatriating knowledge and other sort of intangible uh, aspects of culture. Was the process of working with those archives and looking at the George Framechanger's paintings, was that difficult or complicated in any way for you? Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, there was definitely confronting things within those paintings. There's some paintings that are, um, um, you know open to public viewing because of some of the, um, cultural protocols around some of that. Um, so definitely, you know, there's, and the, you know, it is kind of saddening to see that, um, impact of that colonization and, um, you know, seeing those paintings that were painted at that time where, our old people were being suppressed basically. But, um, but definitely, yeah, the, it's um again I guess in in doing Ghana still here and even just that title it was about showing people because it's our belief that the mentality at the time for George French Angus and especially his father who was a slave trader um, you know, his mentality would have been that Ghana people were dying out and this might have been you know just historical record of a, a dying culture whereas um, I think what Uncle Peter and myself and many other Ghana people have been doing for many years actually kind of proves that yeah we didn't die you know we 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 are still here we are still continuing this ancient cultural practice that has you know some of those practices that have happened on the landscape for you know tens of thousands of years proven but um like I said still Still but again that that culture is in the landscape still and and you know these these things are there to, to relearn if you know how to look. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I know that you you also share a lot of your knowledge through programs, workshops, events and, and talks like this one. Can you tell us a bit more about the various different workshops you run and how people can take part in them?
1: Um, so generally, I, mean, I, I don't have a set plan with um, how I do my workshops and that's basically when I get approached by and it's mainly educational institutions, mainly schools that will yeah. approach me and I'll quite often do um, programmes and workshops within schools and like do a little bit of a string making workshop but it's fairly popular with most young people. Um, some young people pick it up straight away, some others like, you know, struggle a little bit, but you know it is a good little um activity to do. Besides that, it's really just ad hoc basis. But I'm involved in a whole heap of different things where, um, you know, which is all relevant and intertwined. I guess so. um, In um, cultural fire, you know, so being really interesting.
0: That that side of what you talk about with land management and 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 fire control as well. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah. Well, so um, more recently. And with people like, we have Lara Tilbrook in the room here, who's a landholder on Kangaroo Island. Um, we've been m- recently engaging as Ghana, Narunga, other kind of local communities um, with uh, Victor Stephenson, who's kind of a lead fire practitioner around um, Australia, uh, bringing back cultural fire to you know, landscapes that probably haven't seen it in over 100 years. So, some in some places where there has been. You know, catastrophic fires. That's because you know, for thousands of years, our old people managed that landscape. But um, you know, the more that I learn about culture and more that I do my artistic practice, that um, you know, we've always been told everything is intertwined. You know, so it's not just a it's not about art. Again, it's about um, you know, this was part of just life. You know, it was um, you know, the art always had meaning, but that's intertwined with that lifestyle of you know working having that true kind of symbiotic relationship with the, with the landscape and with the country and that's where again you know if we're talking about things like Ghana language and place names and you know when we're looking at our old ancient dreaming stories and looking at the birds and you know, that's where you know this knowledge still is in that landscape and that is the culture of this landscape mm. you know Ghana language you know
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's really interesting when you talk about your making processes that it's all tied up through moving through that landscape. You often talk about making things while, while going through a walk, while being in that environment. And I think it's a really interesting contrast to where we are right now in an art school where our artists are in small, I'm sorry, very cold rooms often. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really different way of engaging we, with, with the making process. Um, but the natural materials really bind your work to the to the landscape. Which, which what areas of South Australia particularly you do you spend a lot of time
1: in? So yeah, I guess, um, and I guess the beauty of doing what I do. I mean, I can sit at home and on the couch and make my string, but I, I have to go out and source the materials. So I'm walking when I do that and. You know, traveling country, and even that in itself is like learning, and you know, all intertwined with the fire mm-hmm. as we're reading kind of those landscapes and learning more about those different landscapes. Then you're finding, you know, where the plants, where the right plants for what you need, it's has got to got to be growing. So, so that's you know, all intertwined with that learning and part of this. Again, it's a, it's more about that cultural learning journey for me. It's not just about that, this artistic practice, mm. but it is, um, you know, you. You can't kind of you can't always see everything when you're just sitting at home kind of thing or, or in a full world class environment where um, you know for myself and again like i will lock myself in my room if i'm just making string but where i prefer to do my um, artwork is out in the country see? and that is visiting like mainly like my ancestral lands which is you know extend pretty much to every coastal nation in south australia but um, So I'll go down the Kaurang, we've got Nyarajiri Ancestry, but you know we've got Ghana Ancestry, so it's along the coastline here, walking to significant sites, you know, we've got ancient sacred sites still along our landscape, um, associated with dreaming stories. All the resources that we need are at those sites as well. So it's walking those places, um, but then also travelling across to Nooronga country. You know, you've got um, my grandfather's side of the family all grew up over on Point Pearce, a lot of his- history if you know where to look over there and connecting with family as well it's about that learning and so we do a lot of butter fishing over there so a lot of the stuff that you know we do around cultures around that fishing and the, the ocean uh, but then I've also got you know extended ancestry up into Gilgurth country which is like up in the central desert on my grandmother's side got you know we got ancestry over to Waiala, so camping over Waiala. And yeah, most of my favourite things that I've made, which I really have a connection with, has been you know sitting around the fire at those places, next to the beach, just carving away at a bit of wood, and not really having a set plan, just kind of letting the wood take its own shape, or you know letting a basket take its own shape as you're weaving it. So, yeah.
0: And in terms of those tools, particularly with fishing, you use these items for their intended use and in their baskets and I, so forth? I haven't had a chance. so I haven't <laughs> made a net
1: big enough to, to actually try yet. I've got one that's probably pretty close in Ghana still here, but as soon as I made it, it kind of got up, uh, tied up in that exhibition. Yep. But also after making it and again part of that learning, so... Uncle Peter actually said after I've made it, he's like, "Oh yeah, that's really, really neat, and you've done really, you know, good string, and it's really uniform, but you've you've tied squares instead of diamonds." <laughs> 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 uh, it took, took me it took me like three weeks to realise what he was actually saying because hey, it's like if they if you stretch them that way, they look like diamonds to me, but yeah. <laughs> but it's actually the way that the fish swims into the net. If it's if you tie it the other way, the fish can actually push through with its gills, whereas the, the force if you if you mm. do those diamonds, um, that shape actually just catches around the, the fish's gills. So so yeah. Um well, that's really that's another that's example
0: the, as you say about the natural world guiding you in the making process. That if you were to use that net you'd realise yeah. there's something
1: but that's not quite right about this one. Oh, and it's that ancient knowledge that, you know, our old people knew that and that would have been passed down as part of those stories and part of that ancient cultural practice. But you know, Uncle Pete, took Uncle Peter's experience to to teach me that, but they're the kind of um, moments that I really love in this arts kind of practice because it's like, yeah, those epiphanies or those um, little moments of discovery of what it's all about for me, I think. Mm-hmm. So.
0: And what does the future hold? Are you moving on to other projects or it's a, it's a more of this process of discovery and learning through making?
1: Well, definitely um, you know, it is a goal to make stuff that I can go out and, and actually use. Um, so I can never make enough string, but the idea is that eventually I'll make up enough, make an abalone shell hook and try and catch a fish and you know make a net big enough that we can actually go out and use in conjunction with ancient fish traps and you know, that... The hope there again you know not just thinking about my arts practice it's more about bringing that kind of cultural activity back and, and doing it as a community so my dream would be that in making a big enough net we could have a community dinner, community day where we're inviting elders down the beach we're having a fire on the beach at these significant spots you know where um cooking fish on the coals for our elders we're getting young people to you know grab rocks and build up the fish traps that possibly haven't been used in 200 years in our area but then um you know getting the nets out when the tide's right and actually trying to use the nets in conjunction with the fish trap again it's probably something that hasn't happened in these areas for over 200 years so bringing back that ancient practice is only going to ensure the continuation of the older surviving culture of the planet
0: yeah absolutely
1: Mm.
0: um maybe we might open up to some questions if anyone has any questions for for at this point lara is there anything that we haven't touched on that you you think
1: well your exhibition's on at the moment and is there other venues that you see the outfits so, so Ghana still here, um, started at the Adelaide Museum. Um, I think it was in there for about three months and I think we had about 22,000 people walk through, so it was just kind of phenomenal and uh, you know, better than what I'd ever expected. We also had a launch there which we had about um, 100 people attend, which was really great. Um, from there, we've... Um, we organised so it was at Gallery M at the City of Marion for for a month. And it was, we saw a bit of success there. We uh, yeah. had a few people kind of walk through the doors there. And currently, so it's been at Aldinga Bay Indie College for about the last month. We're working our way towards next Friday. We have a. A closing celebration but um that's unfortunately already been sold out so okay. <laughs> uh, it was a free event but we had a bit yeah so I think we've got at least 200 people booked into that oh, fantastic. So, yeah it's really kind of showed that you know people want this want to see this stuff in our community and um I mean Uldinga's where I grew up so it's kind of nice that you know the, the community down there is you know more open to I guess learning more about Ghana culture because you know, even when I was going to school down there it wasn't really in your face you know that, that history you know you would learn more about the Egyptian pyramids for example than the, the ancient history that's at your doorstep so so that's a big thing for me is you know the importance of kind of highlighting the magic and, and the amazing things that in that history on our own doorstep like because yeah we, I mean some of our ancient dreaming stories, Predate you know, the Great Pyramid in Egypt, so it's pretty significant stuff. But we could also learn a lot off it as well. So you know, our old people had the most sustainable life way of life in the in the world you know, for proven sixty thousand plus years. We, we say since the dawn of time. So I think you know with climate science and things like that, and nowadays, you know, sometimes it's the same that if we go the way that we're going, we're only going to have about thirty years left. Um, you know, for me, I think you know, the more that we can learn off our own people's knowledge, it might be you know, one of the, the things that saves us from from our own destruction. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just had a question about um, one of the
0: images in the materials. that
1: is the green basket? Yeah. Um, and obviously, it uses uh, the Nairi uh, bundle um, queen Yeah. Um, but it's obviously very green. Um, yes. Is that a material found in Ghana country, or is it just yeah. very young? Yeah. So these um, ones here, I guess um, for me, when doing this style, and um, you know they might do it slightly different because I because I learnt there just over a kind of weekend and um, came back and just started doing it for myself. So I've kind of learnt my own little techniques. And so for me, I think there's like a bit of a there's a certain way that you can dry out your reeds. Um, sometimes like quick drying, them for me there's like a Goldilocks period. Whereas you know, if you if you get them too dry, then they don't do exactly the same as what I. You know, it's sometimes they get a bit too brittle. Um, unless you dry them out a specific way and you know, and soak them a specific way, and yeah, it's um again that's kind of for me the part of the joy of it is learning all these little things and. Some, sometimes I get it neater than other times. Um, I don't know, sometimes it just depends on what mood I'm in or whether I'm in that kind of um, frame of mind to, to do it. Um, but it's also also got, you know, Aunty Ellen talks about there's no such thing as um, messy weaving, it's just another form of expression or it's just the way that that kind of basket wanted to make itself. So. Mm. But yeah, I definitely look at some of my stuff and think it's neither a little bit of the stuff. <laughs> these are, these actually ones actually turned out pretty good. This, this piece I made was one of my first pieces, I've probably made that over over 12 years ago, maybe closer to 15, and, and that's still in Ghana, still here. It's, needs a little bit of repair, but um, I've taken it around to schools and, you know, had people handle it, and, and definitely pretty sturdy. Does it change colour? Or is it yeah, straight? so it's, it's more of that colour now. They do eventually yeah. go to that. It won't okay. st- stay at that colour. But um, but yeah, that's just yeah a, a period kind of in between that drying. But yeah, it, if you if you do it too green, it, it does loosen up. So you know to get it nice and steady like that, you, you're better off waiting for it to dry. Do you
0: wet the um, reds?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a bit of a process. But it, again, you can't... Kind of can't have them waterlogged either, so it's like down in Yaranjiri country they wrap them up in a tower, but I do it slightly different as well. Again, and kind of always changing it up as well. And again, it's kind of that learning, it's like it's um, you, you work out different things when you're trying it different ways. So, yeah, they lovely, thank you. <laughs> it's a um, yeah, there's a, that's a really kind of um, slow process as well. The fine stitch you can do a, a strip, more stretched out stitch, which is a bit quicker. But um, but yeah, it does take a long time as well, especially if you add up you know going out and collecting materials and you know, a couple of weeks to dry them out and then soaking them for you know an hour before you're using them. And yeah, it's a long process. People ask me, oh, "How long did that take you?" I don't even know. You know. <laughs> Do you use any kind of a tool to um, use stitch, or do, is it just with your hands? Generally, just with your hands. I mean, sometimes I mean the way that I've shown down by Honey Ellen and that they'll sometimes use a skewer to open up your last stitch so you can stitch around. But um and so Millarim as well. Um, if you look in the museum, he's made a tool where tie a bit of string around your wrist and and just got a a bit of wood that you can you know use as that skewer so I've made a couple of those and um, I've got one on display at the museum and generally I'll make them and I'll use them for a little bit and then give them away to someone and you know make another one but yeah, I'd, yeah I, I don't always make sure I've got that tool with me I just yeah, yeah nothing else i'll just grab a pen or a pencil and you know do the same thing or a stick but but yeah i've got to be kind of in the right frame of mind to to weave as well it's um yeah i go through periods where i'll just get be stuck into it every night and other times it's like i just don't even (laughs) kind of yeah just not in the mood for for months at a time you know but yeah yeah
0: (laughs) Clen, have you, um, It's fabulous you were bringing back the old practices,
1: Um, have you been able to connect with other saltwater people in other parts of Australia? Um, No, there has been talk of it, like, um, you know, doing cultural exchange and probably be a really good thing to do because, you know, just sharing those knowledges and even, you know, our our storylines connect, you know, our songlines connect, our trade routes, it would possibly bring, be bringing back a lot more of that ancient culture where, you know, um, you know these practices were traded along those trade routes as well. So, um, yeah, definitely been talks about it and even doing cultural exchange overseas with places, but I haven't got there yet, <laughs> you know. Hopefully one day, you know, um, I'd love to be able to go and share this knowledge with other places who haven't, you know, haven't maybe touched on it, Um yeah, you know, I like things happening happening organically as well. You know, I don't want to go out and actually force this on somebody else's community. Um, if it does just come up, then I'm more than happy, more than happy to you know, continue that journey. But um, yeah, we'll see where things go.
0: Wonderful. Maybe we might need to wrap up now. So if you could join me in please thanking Clem for his time.